Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Oh, what have you done now? Hey, everybody. Welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast. And before we start the show today, I want to tell everybody that this podcast is brought to you by Scoutmaster, the free and new app for film and TV shooting locations. Now users can scout the world and master the movies with Scoutmaster, which features GPS navigation powered by Google Maps and which also features the most comprehensive database of shooting locations available on the web. Thinking of planning a trip around locations to your favorite films and shows? Curious to see what films and shows were shot in your own neck of the woods? Scoutmaster's got you covered. It's free. It's free. On both the Google Play and the App Store, Scoutmaster contains tens of thousands of shooting locations around the globe to films and shows of all genres, from action to romance, drama to comedy, horror to sci-fi, maybe back to the future, and all locations are gathered and verified from hundreds of online sources. Unable to find shooting locations to your own personal favorite titles? Well, Scoutmaster's got you covered there as well with its free 48-hour guarantee. Users can easily request any film or television title, no matter how obscure, and Scoutmaster will scout that title's locations for you in two days or less, absolutely free. That's insane. Join Scoutmaster's community of film enthusiasts, scout your own discovered shooting locations for full credit, and as a bonus, Scoutmaster's map also includes memorabilia museums, theme tours, and even rare behind-the-scenes locations that inspire the on-screen action of your favorite films and shows. Sign up free today on Google Play and the App Store or find out more information on ScoutmasterApp.com. That's all one word, ScoutmasterApp.com. Scout the world and master the movies with Scoutmaster. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Gale, co-creator of Back to the Future, and you're listening to Brad Gilmore. Okay, relax, Doc. It's me. It's me. It's Martin. Oh, I can't be. Just sent you back to the future. Yeah. Oh, I know. You did send me back to the future, but I'm back. I'm back from the future. Great. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? The way I see it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast, the only podcast looking back in time with the greatest film trilogy of all time, Back to the Future. I'm your friend in time, Brad Gilmore. Season 7 has been awesome. It's been great. You know what? It's been more than great. It's been great, Scott. Can I get a great Scott? Scott. 
I am, of course, Brad Gilmore. I'm the host of this show. If this is your first time listening, thank you for tuning in. This week on the show, we have another dream guest for the second time. Oh, my God. You're my dream boat, for sure. Joining us this week on Back to the Future, the podcast, for the second time this season, you heard him up top. He is the co-creator of Back to the Future, the time father himself, Bob Gale. Bob Gale and I got to spend nearly 40 minutes talking to each other um, about a myriad of things, including the new book, Back to the Future, DeLorean Time Machine, Doc Brown's Owner's Workshop Manual, available on March the 30th, 2021. I am privileged enough to have obtained a copy of the book early, and I got to be honest, guys, I'm not just selling a product here. If you're a Back to the Future fan, you got to have the book. You got to have one. It's... It's really next to the visual history or right up with the visual history. I think it's the best Back to the Future book ever put out there, uh, including Mind, Cassines. I mean, the, the list goes on and on of all the Back to the Future books that have been out there. They've all been quality. This one really is awesome because it's Bob Gale and Joe Walser together putting together this manual. But the, the, the thing that I found most interesting impressive about it was the uh the scenes from the book or the the parts of the book where doc brown is writing in his journals and he's doing these journals about time travel and bob gale writes all of the dialogue for doc brown in this and it's just it's sensational it really really is so i'm excited to talk to the time father himself for the second time this season the first time was over the phone this time it was via zoom so we could kind of you know interact a little bit more together and by the way i got to give a big plug for backtothefuture.com and our guy Stephen Clark over there, Stephen Clark, friend of the show. I was texting with Stephen the other day because they just released these new Back to the Future Part 2 Griff hoverboard helmets. And if you remember the helmet that Griff had on his head from um, Back to the Future 2. So they had these helmets out and they're signed. All of them are signed by Tom Wilson. Uh, he signs them Tom Wilson and then as the character Griff. I'd have I had to pick one up because they're just, they're awesome. And it came yesterday and uh, so did the book for Bob Gale. And then another book that I'll be talking about here in the future. But this one, really, really special, really, really love it. And I'm excited to be able to tell you all about this new book from Mr. Bob Gale. So without further ado, let's get to my interview. We talk about the new book. We talk about the return of Back to the Future musical and if we're going to see it here in the United States anytime soon. Some of Bob's favorite and least favorite collectibles. Will he make a Back to the Future series with the guys from Cobra Kai? And what can we expect in the years to come from Back to the Future? Here is Bob Gale on Back to the Future, the podcast. And he joins me right now. He is the co-creator of Back to the Future and the co-author of the new book, Back to the Future, DeLorean Time Machine, Doc Brown's Owner's Workshop Manual, available at the end of March. He is Bob Gale. Bob, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Brad. How are you, sir? I'm great. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you about this new project that you have coming out. This book um, is absolutely Incredible. So I was looking before we when I was getting prepared for this, I was looking over at my bookshelf. I have six that I counted six books on Back to the Future. I have six Back to the Future books, 
And I, I'm not just saying this. I think that this is the best book be, that has been put out by Back to, for Back to the Future. Michael's book on the ultimate visual history was awesome, and I love that book. This workshop manual, I got to look over it a little bit this morning. It's just incredible. What, what, uh, what was the genesis of this? We know the story of, of how you found your father's yearbook in the attic, and there it comes Back to the Future. But what was the genesis of this uh, book? The, the genesis of the book actually uh, came from the book editor at Insight Editions, Chris Prince, who was the editor of the Ultimate Visual History book that you mentioned. Uh, he's a huge Back to the Future fan, like so many. And uh, he called me up and he said, what would you think about, about doing this? And he sent me uh, the Ghostbusters Haynes Manual and uh, um, the Marvel Vehicles Haynes Manual. And he said, we well, do this with Back to the Future. And I looked at those books and I thought, yeah, that this would be cool. But what would what would arc it into greatness is if we would uh, include excerpts from Doc Brown's own journals, uh, telling about how he came to invent the time machine um, and little anecdotes uh, and stories that would fill in the missing holes in the three movies. And so the book the book is laid out like that. You start with Doc's journals and you find out Doc Brown's history after he worked on the Manhattan Project in World War II, um, uh, how he met Marty, how he came to decide on the DeLorean uh, and all the trials and tribulations of, of inventing the flux capacitor uh, version of the story, of course, we know from the first movie. And then, uh, uh, <clears throat> then we get into the actual nuts and bolts of the DeLorean time machine as seen in the first movie. Um, and then uh, uh, between part one and part two of the book, we have Doc's journals that fill in what Doc did when he first arrived in 2015 at the end of the first movie uh, to when he comes back to get Marty. And then the same thing happens after we discuss the part two DeLorean uh, and the journals take up where Doc arrives in Hill Valley, 1885, and we learn what happened to him over those nine months. Uh, I have to give a tremendous amount of credit to my co-author, Joe Walser, uh, and Joe was the guy that led the DeLorean uh, restoration team that restored the very original A-car DeLorean from the first movie uh, on display now at the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles, but he knows more about um, he knows more about the DeLorean than anybody anybody in the world. Anyway, uh, Joe knows more about the DeLorean time machine probably than anybody because you know he he led the group that took it apart and put it all the way back together. And what's great in the book is that uh, Joe and I sat down and we came up with names for all these components that were just. Oh, those hockey puck things that are on the side. Well, now they are the PAC canisters, and everything now. Uh, if, if you're if you're a total nerd geek, whatever, uh, technophile, uh, now everything has a name, and the book explains what these things do. Uh, Joe had created all these uh, computer uh, imagery uh, when he was doing the restoration, so he honed all that stuff. And all these beautiful illustrations that are throughout the book, um, that's all Joe. He just he he just knocked it out of the park. 
Yeah, Joe Joe Walter, I've had the privilege of of, of talking to Joe and um he was telling me about some of the process that he went through in, in, in crafting this book. But more so than that was uh, I asked him, I said, you know, when you first met Bob Gale, you know, who we've all dream about meeting and getting to talk to. I said, you know, was he everything that you wanted him to be? He's like, absolutely. He's the best guy ever. But at the same time, when you're working on a project like this with him, he is the foremost authority on Back to the Future. So you get a little little intimidated at times uh, talking to Bob uh, about these things. But you mentioned Doc's journals. And this is the first thing that I gravitated to. Um, you, you detailed a little bit about what it is, but this goes back to the 1940s. Um, his journals do. There's even a little excerpts from newspapers from the Hill Valley Telegraph uh, there. There's there's uh, little things that just notes that he made. I even love there's a little part where he mentions Kennedy's uh, uh, quest to get to the moon by the end of by the end of the decade and things like that. that kind of let you inside Doc's mind and what's important to him and what he values exactly. and kind of fleshing that character out a little bit more. Did you just have the most fun ever getting to go in there and write these out? Oh, yeah. And there's all these little bitty Easter eggs in there uh, for fans of the movie, for fans of of, of Bob's Zemeckis' and my uh, prior work. There's a great there's a great Easter egg about where uh, about who Doc buys the DeLorean from. Um, I, I won't spoil it here, but if, if you're a, if you're a Zemeckis and Gale fan, you can figure that out probably. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, the movies are full of this kind of detail. So, you know, when I'm going to sit down and think about this and what can I put in there, you know, you find out a little bit more about uh, you know, Mayor, Mayor Red Thomas in these little newspaper articles. There's a letter to the editor of Complaint about what's going on at Doc Brown's house uh, from Gertrude Tannen. Um, so all, all the stuff from the movies, it all kind of, it, it, it fills in real nicely. So uh, for the Uber fans, you're going to have a great time. And even if you're not an Uber fan, as, as I said to somebody, I wanted to make sure that the book was not only going to appeal to uh, the techno crowd, but to my daughter um, who, you know, she doesn't really care what, uh, you know, what, what the uh, uh, temporal uh, tachyon generator is, the tachyon pulse generator is, but she is interested in how the DeLorean ended up in the Delgado mine. So we covered that, too. Yeah, I, I think that obviously it's one to pick up for every fan. When I was just flipping through it earlier, has so many things. I was like, oh, I know what that means. Oh, I picked up on that reference. I get that too. So it was, it was real fun. Was it a challenge to write the, the project itself, to work on it? Because I know you've written, obviously, tons of scripts before, whether it be television shows, the Back to the Future films, so on and so forth, and even the comic book series. But was it tough to sit down and write this this book and work with Joe on it? Was it a challenge? It was not. No, um, the, the journal part was not that hard. At all, because once I, you know, got my head back into Doc Brown's head, um, I just, you know, I, I know the character so well. I knew how he would write things, and and I, I hope it comes out sounding like sounding like it's totally him. So that that part was uh, was easy. But then there were certain things where, you know, Joe and I would have conversations. Well, now wait a minute. If 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 this if this item here does this, what about that? And, we, we really had to sort of think more about um, what are the temporal physics uh, that are going on here. And, uh, and then I came up with the wonderful <clears throat> solution 
whenever we got ourselves painted into a corner, uh, which happened a few times. Um, uh, in the introduction, Doc Brown explains that he's going to pull the curtain behind, uh, pull the curtain away from a lot of this stuff, but um, he doesn't want the secrets of time travel to fall into the wrong hands. So when it gets starts to get too technical, it's redacted. Uh, and Doc also says, well, I put some stuff in here that isn't exactly true to throw people off course so that uh, not every Tom, Dick, and Harry could go out and build their own DeLorean time machine. So uh, that, that was a kind of a fun way to solve to solve a problem that it really had no answer. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, you know, and, and one of the other things that you've written, I mentioned the comic book series. It's been so much fun for me as a long time, lifelong Back to the Future fan to dive into the comic book series. I love the Biff to the Future run that that you, you all did over there. Whenever, um, Whenever you start to do the comic book series back in 2015 was there one particular story or little uh, storyline or, or an idea that you have had since you know 1990 when the last film came out that you're like man i wish we could have fit this in somewhere that when you got the back to the future comic book series you're like i'm doing this now well sure yeah actually the first issue uh which was uh two stories one of them is how marty and doc met which is something that everybody always wants to know about. And again, the the continuity of the comic books, it carries over into this book. So uh, th- that's sort of canon, if you will, as much canon as can be when you're messing around with the space-time continuum. <laughs> so, so that was a given. And the fact that Doc did work on the Manhattan Project, it was always something that Bob Zemeckis and I imagined that he did. And in the, in the first issue, we explained how he got the job how we got on board that. And then um, other, other little things that we were able to uh, answer in the, in the comics that were fan, fan questions. Uh, and then to say, okay, now let's, let's think about this. Uh, certain things that um, when you really start thinking about it, for example, there was one real obvious question, which nobody had ever asked. And that was, the DeLorean rolls out of Doc's truck at Twin Pines Mall in the movie. That is clearly the first time Marty has ever seen it. Um, there's no question about that. But if Doc had this had this workshop that Marty was going in and out of, how come Marty never saw him working on working on this car? Well, um, again, nobody ever asked that question. It's really, and I never even thought about it until I said, "Wait a minute." Um, so. Doc had a second workshop somewhere else in Hill Valley um, because what he was doing was so dangerous that he had to protect Marty from it. And again, this is covered in the, in the book uh, is covered in the comics. Uh, And so getting into that stuff and explaining all these things uh, and answering fan questions uh, in, in the context of Doc doing it, you know, people always ask, well, Wait a minute, in 1885, there's two DeLoreans. There's the one that they have that Marty came in, and there's the one that's in the mine. How come they don't get the gasoline out of the one that's in the mine? Well, Doc explains in his journals, like any car guy would know, you drain all the fluids out of a car uh, before you would store it for for even one year, much less uh, 70 years. So, again, we got it all covered, and uh, it was it was great to be able to put all this stuff in one book. 
Yeah, no, and and also in in the uh, in the book that's available at the end of March, March thirtieth. Um, there's also Doc going through the thought process of trying to figure out what what kind of vehicle would be the best car, right? And 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 then a little picture. There's a little picture in there, a little Polaroid. I won't give it away that I absolutely loved. Um, when you talk about tying up some of the the loose ends or what have you, or answering the unanswered questions, there's been this online debate forever and within the Back to the Future community about Marty from the first film. They say that Marty never had a change, you know, character arc, something that he learned, a lesson that he learned from the first movie. I've heard that before, but when I watch Back to the Future, I feel like Marty learns to get over his fear of rejection by proxy of George McFly. He sees his dad get over it, so therefore he kind of gets over that fear of rejection as well. Is that an accurate assessment, or do you agree that there isn't a real change for Marty? Well, what you say is absolutely accurate, because originally... You know, we, we had the scene when uh, when Jennifer says uh, near the beginning, this audition tape of yours is great. You got to send it into the record company. There was actually a deleted scene where when Marty wakes up at the end in 1985, he's got the envelope to send in the record company. And earlier he th- he throws it in the trash. And when he wakes up, he pulls it out of the trash and he's going to mail it. So exactly right. He's over his rejection. And then when you watch all three movies at the same time, we establish that Marty's a little bit of a hothead in the first movie. And of course, you know, he learns to deal with that by the end of the third movie. Right. Yeah. Well, I love that you just validated that for me. There's an argument that I've had with so many people over the years. And there it comes from the man from the man himself, uh, Bob yeah, Gale. Just been, it just it just kind of slowed down the pace of the movie when it was all put together. But that was always something that Bob and I had in mind. I said, well, you. We shot it. It was all there. Um, and in fact, when you watched uh, part one again, and you see Marty coming out of his bedroom. He's got he's got this manila envelope in his hand that he puts down. That's the that's his audition tape that he's going to send to the record company. Incredible. Absolutely love that. Um, everybody I've gotten the opportunity to speak with gives nothing but praise to the Back to the Future musical that, that began uh, prior to the pandemic. Everybody, one yeah, one year ago, everybody just loves it. So I have to ask, um, because even in the creation of it, there was this picture that got all of us excited where it was you, Robert Zemeckis and Alan Silvestri kind of, you know, uh, sitting there yeah. and, and, and before, before and after. Yeah. Yeah. Before <laughs> and after, which was great. But um, I know that we're getting ready to get back into the swing of things with the musical here in the near future. And yes. my question is, is there is there long term plans for it to come to the U.S. anytime soon or um, like Disney j- just did on Disney Plus, where they had that live theater production filmed of Hamilton. Is that something that you would uh, entertain having a filmed version of the play of the musical? Well, our, our plan is uh, to get the get the show back up and running uh, in the West End. We're booked in the Adelphi Theater. Uh, we were booked uh, into uh, into next February, as a matter of fact, um, when the opening day will be. That's sort of up to Boris Johnson. Um, we, we got some we got some encouraging news uh, from the UK uh, yesterday, and I know they're working that out. So the details should be forthcoming in the next week or two uh, about the specifics. Uh, although tickets tickets are on sale, but we don't know if those dates are actually correct. Um, so knock on wood, uh, we will 
continue the successful run that we had in Manchester in London uh, and then bring it, uh, you know, bring it to Broadway, uh, get a touring company. Uh, we're not in a big hurry to do what they did with Hamilton on the Disney Channel, because remember, Hamilton had been playing for, you know, five or six years. Uh, so we want it, it's it's such a great experience to see this in the theater. Um, it's I mean, we've got lightning, we've got fire, we've got explosions. You're going to believe that the DeLorean really goes 88 miles per hour. I mean, it is, believe me, I wrote the book, but how the production came together and the visual effects and everything and the, and the cast and the music, it exceeded all my expectations. It is, it is really that good. So uh, we want as many people in the world uh, to see this on stage because, um, you know, you want people to see it in the medium uh, that it's intended for. Yeah. I mean, seriously, though, everybody has given it nothing but tremendous praise. And these are people who have Back to the Future tattooed on them. Right. I mean, and then <laughs> and, you know, I had friends who flew all the way to just see it um, all, all the way overseas to see it. So I'm excited uh, eventually for it to come back and maybe uh, hit Broadway. I know I'll be one of the first uh, there. And speaking of the pandemic, though. It kind of, I'm sure, altered the timeline, if you will, for things that we expected for the 35th anniversary. A lot of that stuff still came to yeah. fruition. But um, were there things that were planned that obviously didn't get to happen due to the pandemic that we may see for the 40th anniversary or any insight that you could tell us about that? Well, I, I have no idea. I, I hope so. Um, you know, maybe they'll just say, well, hell, let's celebrate the 37th and a half. Of the <laughs> hey, I'm cool with that. I'm fine with that. <laughs> do all this stuff. I don't know. Uh, you know, Turner Classic Movies was going to was going to do do an event at uh, at the Chinese Theater in L.A. Um, we still have the Back to the Future exhibit at the Hollywood Museum, but the museum's been closed since the pandemic. Uh, so we're looking to get that reopened and have that going ahead. There were just a bunch of of uh, of personal appearances and and other events uh, around the 35th anniversary that obviously could not happen. Um, but, you know, as long as there's the kind of interest that we have in Back to the Future, uh, people are going to have these events. And if we can time to an anniversary or not, um, it's still it's still back to the future and people are still loving it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll take it any way that we can get it. And, and one of the, one of the great things about the 35th anniversary and every time the anniversaries come around, uh, not only the, the, the home video releases, but there's always this influx of great merchandise uh, and officially licensed products from back to the future. I have a whole shelf full of them. I'm staring at right now from a Pepsi perfect on down. Um, what, what uh, for you out of the, all the, licensed merchandise and memorabilia they've been able to create, especially for these anniversaries. What has been one to where it was shipped to Bob Gale's front door and you opened the box and you said, wow, they nailed this. Well, I got, I got to, I got to put in a plug for the new, um, uh, tr Transformers DeLorean toy, um, which is on pre-order. Uh, when they came over, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not the Transformers demographic, let's face it. Um, uh, although I knew what they were and, you know, I remember the original toys back in, back in the seventies or the eighties, the eighties, I guess was when they were. Um, but the guys came to my house with a prototype of this toy and I just said, Oh my God, this is, <laughs> they, they really did this with a lot of love. And, um, 
the new Back to the Future uh, board games that have come out. I mean, what's exciting to me is that the people who grew up watching Back to the Future are now the game designers. They're now the toy designers. Uh, they're the ones that are creating this stuff. Uh, and, and they love the movie so much that they're putting all of their heart and soul into it. And it shows. It really does. It's a long way from that crappy uh, 8-bit Nintendo cartridge that came out, uh, which was one of the worst video games ever made. Uh, nothing like that will ever happen again. Uh, hey, the, the fans are now in charge. <laughs> I, I got to say, that game is legend uh, uh, online, or infamous, maybe. <laughs> it, it, it was one of the only times I ever had to publicly get out there and say to the fans, don't buy this. It sucks. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so funny. Um, um, and, you know, uh, the, another one of the products that have come out were these great, uh, very lifelike almost looking uh, figures of, of Marty in the full plutonium suit or or Doc and, and, and things of that nature. Right. Um, um, if they were to create, though, a Bob Gale action <laughs> figure – that I would absolutely be the first to buy. But if they were to make the Bob Gale figure, what what would the uh, you're, you're a sick man? You're a sick man. <laughs> what would be what would be the accessories that came with it? That's what I want to know. What would be the accessories that came with the Bob Gale Back to the Future action figure? Well, um, maybe my dog and uh, and my computer, of course, because you know my wife says to me every time I look over at you, you're always at your computer. Um, so, you know, it's the writer's tools. Uh, if they if they did the action figure of me, action, huh? A writer in action. <laughs> uh, from the 80s, they'd have to have a manual typewriter. Uh, uh, we, could, we could talk to Tom Hanks about his uh, manual typewriter collection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe we'll have one modeled, uh, modeled after his. No, that, that's a great answer. A um, couple more for you, but the, you talked about people still wanting – Back to the Future. They always want more content. They want more behind-the-scenes looks. They want more books, want more action figures. Forever, we obviously know the stance on the Back to the Future 4. Um, but I ha I saw on a friend of mine, actually a really good friend of mine, Christian Harloff, has a show, and he interviewed the guys from Cobra Kai on Netflix. And during the interview, they said that the they wanted to do a Karate Kid, and then they also they would love to do a Back to the Future Netflix television series um, is that something that you've ever talked about or is it something that would even interest you or has there ever been a pitch that made you say, you know what, we might have something here? The fact is, Brad, that we put the end at the end of the third movie because that was the end. And, you know, if somebody wants to do their own time travel series on Netflix, God bless them. Please go with God. Do it. Um, but if you're going to tie it into Back to the Future – I mean, that's, you know, that, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty high bar. And um, what we don't want is to say, OK, yeah, well, they say it's back to the future, but it isn't. Um, we, we just really want to keep the franchise pure. So the reason that we did the musical is because we said, OK, this is a, this is a different medium and it's a way to retell the original story. Uh, with song and dance and spectacle that you could not do uh, cinematically because it's a different medium and it works great. Um, but television, it's not that much different than a movie. 
we did our animated series back in the day. Um, that's fine for what it is. And, um, you know, as I say, if the guys from Cobra Kai have an idea for a time travel story, uh, please do it. I'd love to see it. Just don't call it back to the future. <laughs> I, lo- I love that answer. Um, and I think that you're right. The, the, whether it was the animated series, which I really enjoyed, especially when I was younger, it was awesome to see, you know, the Vern, Vern and uh, Jules and Vern be able to be on opposite sides of the Civil War. I thought that was such a funny idea. And, and, and you know, that it really happened. It was based on historical fact, right? I mean, there were brothers on opposite sides of the there spectrum. Were. And uh, what were. a great way to educate people at the same time with Back to the Future. Um, speaking of that, it is still one of the most name-checked franchises in the history of entertainment. I mean, you hear Back to the Future, whether it, I remember watching an episode of Monday Night Raw from the WWE, and they're talking about Back to the Future. I'm watching this television show. They're talking about Back to the Future. And, um, you know, I even even saw a movie called The House with the Clock on Its Walls. And oh, yeah, there's that a, was such a great, I said, uh, that was one of the most brilliant inside references. Yeah, Spaceman from Pluto is playing at the, at the theater's, uh, yeah, starring Eric Stoltz. It was great. Yeah, it was such what a what a great little scene. And for everyone who knew, we felt like the smartest people in the room when we saw that marquee. And I remember sharing it all over social media and be like, "Look, do y'all know what this means?" But um, but but <laughs> the, the other movie that was name checked in uh multiple times is now the biggest movie of all time. Uh, the Avengers Endgame, Endgame makes reference to Back to the Future not once, but I believe on two separate occasions and two separate scenes, and and kind of a. Uh, in some ways, I, I took a little bit of offense to some of the things that they said, you know, saying that Back to the Future's time travel didn't make sense, which I don't uh, technically agree with. But what what is it like for you when you see the biggest movie of all time making reference to your film uh, within its plot and, 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 and to really continue to keep that alive? It's incredible. I, I just loved it. I, I really did. I, I when, uh, when 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 Robert Downey Jr. said, you know, wait, you're you're coming up with a plan that's based on back to the future. I, <laughs> I fell out of my chair. I just, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe how outrageously great that was. Um, uh, and, 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 and then I got the extra kick out of the fact that after, uh, after Scott Lang says, you know, you know what, what, you mean back to the future bullshit? Um, what do they do in the movie? They go back into the old Avengers movies, uh, the old Marvel movies. So, even after they said no, time travel doesn't work this way. It works exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is. This is exactly what they did. They went back and they fixed it from you know the past, and then they read to the future. I mean, it, it is the exact uh, plot line of Back to the Future. I just love though hearing that because. Um, one of the great gifts of my life was being able to sit with people when they get to see the film for the first time. I showed it to my nephews who were eight and nine, and they got to see Back to the Future for the very first time, and I kind of relived it through their eyes. And even though we're in a whole, we're, what were four decades essentially removed from you know, the release of the first film from the 1980s to the 2020s, it still is so it still resonates with so many people and to um to see that even referenced in the biggest movie of all time i thought that was great uh bob gale i've i've one more question for you in regards to writing and the book um and again thank you so much for your time the book is back to the future delorean time machine doc brown's owner's workshop manual available from inside editions uh on march the 30th pre-order it right now on amazon um as a writer when you got the the call back when you're making the sequels 
and you were uh, crafting the script that was, you know, titled Paradox at the time, but probably even before that in pre-production, when you figured out that Crispin wasn't coming back, which is something that you've addressed in the past, how quickly did you and Bob Z come to the decision to write George McFly out of it? Was there a lot of ideas on the wall? Was there a lot of index cards on the wall uh, in, in the well, offices no, of Bob and Bob? The, the fact is that before, before we even started writing anything at all, um, the studio says to us, we want to do Back to the Future Part 2. And we said, okay, we will do it as long as we have a deal with Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. As long as we have those two guys, we will be able to think of something to do in a sequel. So the studio agreed, and they went and they made they made deals with those guys. And then Bob and I said to ourselves, all right, so what is it that people want to see in a sequel? They want to see the characters that they love from the first movie. So we immediately went and approached Leah Thompson and Thomas F. Wilson, Biff, and they both said, yes, uh, we're in. If you guys are doing it, we're in. Uh, and... Crispin, uh, his his agent came back and said, well, uh, Crispin isn't so sure. And um, anyway, uh, after after two weeks of hemming and hawing, it was pretty clear that that we would uh, we should not count on Crispin being in the movie. He. Uh, you know, he he, he uh, what, what he wanted wasn't wasn't realistic to us. So. Uh, when we started, we said, okay, we've got Doc, Marty, Lorraine, and Biff, um, uh, and Jennifer. Um, let's figure, let's figure this out. So it never ever occurred to us to write. There, there was never a story in our head that involved George McFly, uh, as a central figure. Uh, we always knew that we were going to have to do something, uh, that didn't have, that didn't involve Crispin Glover. So that I hope that answers. It. No, no, absolutely. And, and I guess my last question would be everybody as I've seen this film, I can't tell you how many times and uh, all of them, I've worshiped them. I've, I've talked about them endlessly and everybody has their favorite, you know, character, favorite line, things of that nature. Um, my, my last question for you, Bob is it's a twofold. One, who is your favorite side character? So outside of the main, four, you know, main uh, Marty, Doc, Lorraine, Biff, George, outside of those guys, who is your favorite side character in Back to the Future? And then what is your favorite line from any of the films, your favorite quote from Back to the Future? Well, uh, I guess on a certain level, it would have to be Goldie Wilson, um, because uh, it turned out that, that Don Fulov, the actor who played him, he was so wonderful uh, that when it came time to do the musical, we expanded that part. So uh, you'll see more Goldie Wilson in the musical uh, than you saw in the movie because, uh, you know, he's just such a wonderful character. Uh, so, so that'd be the answer. That'd be that answer. Uh, in terms of what, what is my favorite line? Um, well, you know, obviously we have, you know, you know, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour and that, but I, I happen to love, uh, the, the exchange in part three, when they, uh, get into the cab of the locomotive and the engineer says, is this a holdup? No, it's a science experiment. 
That is a great one. And this, see, I knew you'd have a great answer for that because as a writer and, and things that I've written, you always have uh, something, you always like something that maybe doesn't resonate all the time with everybody else. There's like, oh, I really love this line. But for me, in uh, Back to the Future Part 1, if I could share my favorite one, it's Please. it's where they're at the, the, the dinner table in the Baines residence after Lorraine and, and Calvin have their exchange in Lorraine's bedroom. And th- they're talking and, and Lorraine grabs Calvin by the th- thigh and then Marty ex- expeditiously gets out of the out of the Baines household and the mother goes I wonder what got into him and then he goes he's an idiot comes from upbringing his parents are probably idiots too it's my favorite line and I say it all the time it's such so great great delivery great writing and I love that line you know it, it's so fascinating you know we, when you write it you don't realize how some of these lines are going to just take on a life of their own, you know. The, the other great line in that scene is, oh, he's kidding you, honey. Nobody has two televisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was one that probably didn't, uh, you know, when you look at it now and you count how many TVs you have in your room, it's like, wow, you know, how far we've come. Um, but, but Bob, it's, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I've, I've had the, the honor of, of talking to, to Christopher Lloyd and Leah Thompson and Crispin and, and Jeffrey and, and Don, and the list goes on and on of people who've been involved with the film. But it, it all wouldn't have been possible without you. Uh, you are the time father. And uh, it's incredible that, that, that we're still talking about Back to the Future all these years later. Again, Back to the Future, DeLorean Time Machine, Doc Brown's Owner's Workshop Manual, available March the 30th. Pre-order it on Amazon right now like I did. You know, you know, continue your love for Back to the Future if you're listening out there. And, Bob, if people want to ask more questions of you, if they have something that they may have seen before that they just have to ask Bob Gale, is there any way that fans can get in touch with you? I know your social media isn't big for you, but is there any way that people can get in touch with you? Well, I, I, I always put in a plug for uh, – for the official website, backtothefuture.com. And so a lot of times people will uh, uh, send their questions uh, via that website and they eventually, they eventually get to me. Um, but if I had a social media profile doing this stuff, I'd do nothing else but <laughs> be answering fan questions all the time. That's why I don't do it. Uh, your wife would be like, uh, you're always at your computer, Bob. That's exactly, exactly. Then it was, I, you're never in bed. <laughs> we, we don't want that. Uh, I don't want that. <laughs> awesome. Well, that is the great Bob Gale. Bob, thank you so much. You're welcome, Brad. Thanks for having me and uh, uh, see you in the future. How incredible was it to talk to the man himself, Bob Gale, Two times in half a year's time. Pretty awesome. You never know when we're going to connect again in the future. My thanks to Bob Gale. My thanks to Eric Chang over there at Insight Editions for setting all that up and getting this over to us. The book over to the show. Uh, Amazing book again. It is available on March the 30th. The DeLorean Time Machine, Doc Brown's Owner's Workshop Manual. Go pre-order today. And we will see you in the future. Oh, Brad, what have you done now? Oh, Brad, what have you done now? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot 
for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 